0: Welcome to The Permanent Record. I'm Josh Spickler, and I'm getting over a cold, so please bear with me. I'm the executive director of Just City. We're a nonprofit criminal justice reform organization based in Memphis, Tennessee. The Permanent Record is our podcast about the criminal legal system and how we can work together to make it work better for everyone. This episode is not so much about the criminal legal system, though. I recently uh, became aware of a podcast called They Knew Which Way to Run. Uh, It's about the Bhopal Gas Tragedy in Bhopal, India in 1984. It was created by school friends Molly Mulroy and Apoorva Dixit. Apoorva has been interning here at Just City for the past few weeks, and that's how I became aware of the podcast. It's an amazing exploration of a lot of the same themes that we try to explore here on The Permanent Record. Themes like accountability, um, pain, harm, and how we deal with those as human beings. And while it may not seem related, I think the conversation you're about to hear uh, will prove otherwise. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you, Molly and Aporva, for joining us. Um, this is a really a great and delightful opportunity for me as someone who listened to the podcast and is now sitting down with the two hosts who... Uh, um, to talk more about it um, to, to get us started though uh, porva will you uh, just tell us about the Bhopal gas tragedy as, as sort of succinctly as you can just so listeners know where we're coming from
1: Yeah sure Th- and thank you Josh for for having us on today um, so I'm, originally from Popal, I was born in Popal, grew up there till I was five years old. Um, but then we moved to Memphis um, after that and uh, actually didn't hear of this tragedy myself until seventh grade uh, here in, in at White Station Middle. Um, and essentially what happened uh, was that it was an industrial disaster. Um, there was a American pesticide factory called Union Carbide, now um, Dow Chemical. They had set up Uh, operations to create best sites for all of India, there was a lot of negligence in operating this factory until one night, December 2nd, 1984, uh, there was a huge gas leak. And and essentially the chemical that leaked created a gas cloud and suffocated um, an unknown number of people, but as many as 10 to 20,000.
0: Thank you um, and you didn't say this but Bhopal is in India
1: <laughs> Bhopal is in India yes
0: <laughs> and Molly you were also a student at uh, White station middle and that's how you guys met is that right
2: yes yes um, and just to echo up Borva thanks again for having us on the show and um, talking about the podcast but um, yeah we went to middle school together and became friends in Miss Bradley's science class um, and um, but actually she didn't even you know she said mentioned that she found out about the podcast in seventh grade, just in a textbook, and it was kind of like a throwaway line. Like, they were talking about Chernobyl. It's like a whole chapter on Chernobyl or something, which obviously deserves. But then there was just like one sentence, right, at the end of the chapter that said, by the way, the second worst industrial disaster. And we've had a lot of discussions about what that even means, a worst industrial disaster, Mm -hmm. because by a lot of standards, you could say that (laughs) Bhopal's disaster um, could could be considered the worst, um, certainly. But um, I didn't actually hear about the tragedy. Um, she didn't mention it at the time or anything, or I didn't notice it in the textbook, um, until we were in college, um, and she was coming to visit me, and she was about to go on, um, a Fulbright. So, it was a Fulbright scholar, and she was going to go back to Bhopal, India for a full year, um, and do all this research, and I was just asking her, you know, what, what, what's your research about? What are you even studying and stuff, and, um, your ethnographies, and she, started telling me and I just couldn't stop asking all these questions and questions and I was working on a podcast for my thesis at the time and so I said well we should do a podcast on this and then that was this project was born
0: yeah and it's a beautiful podcast I've got to say um it's it's so well done um the music and and the way you guys set up the story Uh, but one of the most compelling things I found uh, about it was how you sort of can feel Bhopal in in your descriptions and in some of the, the the words uh, of the folks that you interviewed, Apoorva, uh, and so give us, uh, and what I want to do here in our short time together is leave people wanting to listen to these seven amazing episodes and learn uh, everything that you guys learned, probably not everything, but what <laughs> you guys were able to put down uh, on a podcast, I'm sure you learned much more than what we heard, but Apoorva, what I uh, really loved uh, about one of the first episodes of the, of the series is how you sort of describe Bhopal, and and uh, and some of the you know the people that you talk to, whose voices we hear uh, really gave me a sense of a place that I've never been to. and uh, I would wonder if you could do that really quickly for us again. Just describe this place in India where you were born and, and lived for a little while and your family is from uh, and, and what's it like?
1: Sure yeah um, yeah Bhopal uh, is often nicknamed the city of lakes. Um, so essentially it's this gorgeous little, I mean, little by Indian standards, um, city in central India. Um, if you imagine, you know, India is a diamond. It's smack dab in the middle. Um, and it has all these hills and valleys. Um, and, you know, one of my fondest memories of uh, growing up in, in India was, you know, learning how to drive. Um, and in India, most cars are uh, stick shift. And that is difficult enough as it is in Indian traffic, but then on top of that you add these hills. Um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. you are actively <laughs> rolling back <laughs> as you're trying to <laughs> shift into gear and um, and they're steep and they're everywhere. it's you know a, a little bit like San Francisco, but like throw in more lakes. Um, and what's also really cool about Bhopal is, is like the makeup of the city, the history of the city. so, Bhopal um, was ruled by um, the Nawabs, uh, which were a Muslim dynasty who actually were not conquered by the British. They maintained their rule. Um, so, present day, it's created this city that actually is a lot more, um, ha- has much better Hindu-Muslim relationships than many other parts of India.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, Molly, when you learned of the tragedy and, and learned a little more of this place through your friend, Aporva, you have experience telling stories in the podcast medium. What were some of the things you wanted to explore when you guys set out to, to tell the story?
2: Well, I think y- you mentioned a second ago that one of the things that we included is the actual voices of a lot of the survivors and their children and their grandchildren. And I think that was the thing that I was most like keen on. I, I was that really makes you know any kind of documentary style thing like really. Um, moving to actually hear or see the people and so then since this is a podcast like every time she would go out at all really i was like take your phone take the recorder (laughs) like just you know like um record the call to prayer record like the market record whoever you're talking to you know record the chai stalls you know whatever she was you know experiencing because i wasn't experiencing it and i wanted selfishly to experience it (laughs) but also for our listeners to be able to, like you said, feel that they were there too. So, um, and then especially, I mean, obviously she already planned to do this, but especially when she would sit down and do the interviews, um, just really get you know, their voice um, and their actual words, which Pora Porva, because I don't speak Hindi, obviously she had to translate all of them and transcribe them, um, but to have, you know, the actual story and how they felt about what happened and what happened in the years after and what's going on today, um, because I don't know if, I can't remember if you mentioned this already, but the Union Carbide Factory is still standing there. Nobody has cleaned it up, um, which has led to all kinds of other issues, including clean water issues um, in the city of Bhopal. So um, just hearing all of that from their voices specifically because there's no way Apoorva and I could tell that you know we can't just tell someone else's story hearing their story themselves I thought was just we both thought was like the perfect way to to help them tell the story
0: yeah what surprised you Apoorva the most as someone with grounding in this place and 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 with these people, even though you may not have had a working knowledge of the tragedy itself, what surprised you the most about their stories, and, and as you began to ask them about it, what was the, what was the biggest uh, thing that you learned?
1: I mean, I think initially, I, I was just shocked by the fact that I grew up visiting pretty much every other summer, um, and, and all of my neighbors, all of my relatives had had a story from that night, and they had never talked about it before. Um, it wasn't until I started asking questions and I started being like, "Hey, what happened?" <laughs> that they were kind of like, "Oh, well, here's you know where I was, and then we ran, and then you know this thing happened, and then that person got lost." And everybody had these you know vivid, tragic memories, and and these are that you, you know, had th- never heard that I had never heard yeah. that nobody had ever <laughs> brought up before. Um, My grandfather was a judge at the time, and his circle of friends were all retired judges. And, yeah, once I started asking, all of a sudden, stories from them started coming out, how they were, you know, overseeing many of these cases, you know, after the fact, in terms of compensation cases and all. Um, And then there was, you know, a whole cohort of of people that I met, um, like, you know, right, I knew my neighbors, I knew my relatives, but then I specifically wanted um, to go to the neighborhoods that were most affected, um, closer to the factory, and they tended to be lower income. They tended to be, um, yeah, working class folks who uh, had who had suffered a lot, um, who had lost many, many loved ones, and who, like to this day, uh, were still demanding justice. Um, many of them had become activists, and um, and I had no idea that 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 was even happening in the city growing up visiting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you talked just then I think you sort of touched on the sort of the division, the inequality uh, in Bhopal and um, you do a really good job in the podcast of sort of talking with very a lot of specificity about the chemical itself that, that caused this, um, th- this damage, these deaths um, and do I remember right that, that it sinks and so people who live in lower elevations suffered more and people who uh, maybe have more resources in Bhopal typically lived on higher ground. Is that right?
1: That's right. Yeah. Uh, no, exactly. And so just like by and, – and, you know, as, as it often works, um, folks – richer folks tended to live, you know, on higher ground, and poorer folks tended to live on lower ground. And, and beyond that, the folks um, right around the factory – Like a lot, the factory was kind of at the outskirts of town. So, a lot of those people were, you know, newcomers to the city coming in from the villages. They had um, only just established essentially a shanty town right around this factory. So, not only were they in low lying ground, but they also didn't have any insulation. They, you know, they didn't have um, proper like walls and doors to like keep this gas out. And it was actually a thick enough gas that that mattered. And because it's called metaisocyanate isocyanate, because it was mixing in with the winter fog, you could literally see it. Um, you could literally see this 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 cloud kind of moving. Um, but there are stories of folks, you know, who lived in like multi-story buildings, and like the first and second floor died, and the third and fourth floor live oh. just slept through the night.
0: Yeah. I and
2: think I think if if I can another yeah, just please. really. Um, like, horrifying but but very moving sort of um, story that we heard from a lot of people that Aporva interviewed um, was that because it was so thick and because, you know, people were inside their homes, you know, the more they opened the door or if they started running because it was so thick, they were breathing it more heavily. So s- some people, you know, in their homes actually slept through it, whereas others who were aware at least that there was something horrible going on, even if they had no idea what it actually was, you know, we're trying to run away from it or protect their loved ones, and and, and they might not have made it. Um, and it's just sort of this, you know, when you try to visualize it, it's so, so horrific, you know, um, to, to sort of think about it in, in that sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, unfathomable. Um, Molly, I, wa- I wonder also if you could, I mean, the podcast is called They Knew Which Way to Run, and um, it's just a chilling title when you recognize what y- why you called it that. And, and it gets to um, the the villain, for lack of a better word here, this, this large multinational company headquartered in America, Union Carbide, Dow Chemical, uh, and the folks um, who were in charge of this factory and who were responsible for this disaster knew which way to run, and the people that night did not. Uh, so I think you probably had a, a big role to play in understanding this side of things, the American side of things. So talk a little bit about uh, about that and about why this why this factory was even in India
2: right and, and right so so the title as you mentioned originally came from I think an interview Apoorva did where where someone told her none of the factory workers who were working that night actually died which we were both could not comprehend and he said well you know they worked there they they knew the information they knew which way to run and we just sort of took that little phrase to, to mean something so much bigger. Like you said, it's not, it's not just the factory workers who, you know, were just mid-level factory workers. They weren't, you know, the ones responsible for the negligence going on, obviously. So the higher ups and and the American corporation and and to a certain extent, you know, the government and things like that who, who were in charge of these types of things. So um, we talk a little bit in the podcast about how India was having this, you know, sort of boom in terms of industry and things like that. and, And so they were bringing more um, western companies including american pesticides companies um to to have factories and to, to start work in india um but there was a lot of confusion about you know who was in charge kind of who um had you know jurisdiction and things like that which obviously came into play after the tragedy plenty um in terms of who should be held accountable who should be held responsible and as Apoorva mentioned there were all these compensation trials that happened later but there was also you know, criminal trials that people tried to, to to start with. And all these American personal injury lawyers flew into Bhopal like the day after, um, like dozens and dozens of them. And um, trying to figure out, you know, well, where do we even have Indian court or American court? And um, we talk about this one judge in America who, you know, for better or for worse, there's definitely some, some give and take in this. but. Basically said, um, it's not our responsibility, the American government, to 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 deal with this um, because India is its own country. You know, we shouldn't patronize them. You know, we should allow them to make their own decisions. Which, there's you know something interesting and helpful about that, but at the same time, it was it was really just America <laughs> saying our hands are clean. We don't want to deal with this. Like make India deal with it. Um, so,
1: and the lawyers representing India were the ones arguing to have the case in the U.S. They th- were the ones that were kind of like, "Our tort law isn't developed enough to handle a mass tort like yeah. this."
0: Could you talk about how young of a country India was when this happened? How old was it?
1: So, uh, India gained its freedom in 1947. Right. This happened in 1984. So it was less, less than, than you know, f- years. forty. 30, 40? Yeah, less 40, than 40. Yeah. that's
0: great. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Fat at math. Less than 40 years, yeah. So yeah. that's that's fascinating uh, piece of information. And
2: yeah, I, I remember one of the really interesting things that Apoorva's grandfather mentioned to her, not on tape, unfortunately, but just in a conversation with them, was that like it was a wonder that Bhopal's infrastructure didn't just totally collapse because India as a country was so young. you know. But Bhopal specifically, you know, the the courts didn't just immediately fail, like Aporva. we talk about in the podcast too, like people weren't really able to eat a lot of the food, because the gas had Mm -hmm. destroyed the food, and Mm -hmm. gotten into the water system, and, and all these things, and it's, it's, it's a wonder that, and and honestly, it's, it's the people, I think, a lot more than anything, it's the people of Bhopal who stepped up, and like we talk a lot about Aporva's dad, and her aunt, who were college age, and just Went just were sort of drawn to the hospital and just did what they could to to help, um, and I think it, it's just a real sense of like, it's the people of Bhopal, it's the community um, who saved <laughs> Bhopal in the days, in the days and weeks and months after, and then, as we talk a lot in the podcast about the the survivors and the activists who kept the movement going over the decades since and have continued the fights for. You know, small victories one at a time, but um, they're 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 huge in the grand scheme of, of what everyone went through. Yeah, yeah. yeah and in fact,
1: um, there is now a current um, case in the Indian Supreme Court that's relooking at the debt toll and the compensation that was paid out um, because there's clear evidence that uh, that the government knew that the numbers that were being reported were were. Underreported,
2: And not only not only the death toll issue, but I mean, you know, they, they were asking for some kind of like proof that you were there that night, you know, and you had to bring your birth certificate. And a lot of the people who had suffered the most couldn't read or didn't have a birth certificate. So even if they showed up for compensation, you know, they might have been turned away or they didn't even know where to go or how to get there. So the whole compensation issue, I mean, pretty much from beginning to end was, was just a little bit of a farce. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: A lot of what you're doing here is sort of uncovering something for a new generation, and so you spent a lot of time with loved ones who are older and uh, people in the community who are older. How do you? And you've told me before that you studied anthropology, and so this this whole concept of sort of understanding people and their stories is fascinating to you. How how do you go uh, into deeply into something like this with people who sometimes are related to you, uh, and there's so much pain and and trauma. Uh, like just community-wide, country-wide trauma in this instance, family-wide trauma. How do you approach that, uh, and and balance the, n- the the importance and value of the story that's to be told to a new generation with uh, asking folks to relive it?
1: Yeah, it's really difficult. Um, and and in some ways, Molly and I joke about you know accidentally spending five years on this podcast, <laughs> um, but we needed that time specifically. For this question, specifically to allow people who had s- I had started conversations with years ago to finally be able to like open up and and yeah, tell me what they need to tell me. Like for in our podcast, you know, a recurring character is my dad, um, and when I you know first told him that I was going to go to Bhopal he actually didn't react very positively <laughs> to the idea. Um, he was just you know being protective. And, and at the time, you know, I, I remember interviewing him then and it was like a fairly, you know, superficial interview, like a very like this happened, this happened, this happened, the end. Um, and five years later, we were doing the recording for our last episode, our finale, um, and we decided to re-interview him, Molly and I, and it was a totally different experience. It was so much more... Um, he was willing to be so much more vulnerable, and and he himself, you know, had processed a lot, I think, that maybe he hadn't previously, and and a similar thing happened even in, like, the duration of my year in India. There were folks I met at the start who were kind of like, who is this American girl, Um, that by the end of the year were kind of like, oh, you actually, you know, you've stuck around, like, um, and so there was, a huge element of trust building but beyond that there was also an element of convincing people that this is a worthy use of everyone's time that this is something worth remembering and um, and yeah sharing
0: talk about the activists that is such a, a big part of the story are the people who are to this day you mentioned the supreme court an indian supreme court case that is ongoing even today 40 more years <laughs> uh, since this happened uh, so, talk about the people that, that are fighting this battle t- today. That you talk a lot about, or you mentioned the difference between the young activists and the old activists. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- what about those folks?
1: Yeah, they're incredible. Um, one activist that you know we talk a lot about and whose story we hear is is Rashida B. and um, and she she has a story that is kind of emblematic of many of the other activists' stories in that. She was a young housewife when this all happened, um, had um, had never really left her own house, wasn't really allowed to um, and then lost uh, her husband in the tragedy, lost many of her loved ones in the tragedy and um, had to survive, had to figure out you know become the breadwinner but beyond that, Realized that um, if she and her fellow survivors didn't band together and demand their rights, no one was about to give it to them. Um, the government was very uh, <laughs> wanted to move on as quickly as possible. Within a couple of months after the tragedy, a lot of you know the support systems that were set up were uh, taken apart, and people were already you know moving on and being like, okay, well, done with that. After you know tens of thousands of people have died. Um, So they, you know, came together, um, started, and and just figured it out, figured out how to protest, figured out how to get attention, figured out who to ask. Um, You know, they didn't even know um, who the right people were that they should be protesting. You know, like, Mm -hmm. is it like the city government? Is it the state government? Is it the, you know, the national government? Um, Eventually they protested all of them. And one of, like, the most, you know, amazing stories, like, one of the most amazing experiences I've had is, like, listening to Rishi the Bee tell her story of marching from Bhopal to Delhi, which is a significant, like, hundreds of miles march. And they literally did it on foot. And they did it to, again, raise awareness, make people realize that this is ongoing. And they actually... Again, for the ongoing Supreme Court case, they didn't march on foot this time, um, but they did go to Delhi, and um, and like it's like become one of their uh, like classic protests um, st- strategy is is to do these marches and. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's really cool to, to s- hear and learn from them both in terms of, like, what motivates them and how they, like, maintained their hope all these decades on, um, but then also, like, how they, what they hope to achieve, you know, how they've spread it.
0: Molly, I know both you and Apoorva have spent a lot of time in Memphis, but you currently live in Memphis, and, and Apoorva does not. Um, and so, uh, folks, if you've made it this far in the podcast, or why are we talking about a gas tragedy uh, in India 40 years ago? Um, and I think that there are a lot of uh, uh, common themes uh, between uh, a lot of American cities and, and, and that struggle with the things that Memphis struggles with, uh, Poverty, mostly racism, uh, crime, uh, economic disparity. Um, what, what did you, when you think about the place where you live and, and are from, uh, and you, and everything you learned about Bhopal, what are some of the common, uh, themes and, and, uh, how, how does it help, how can it help us think about overcoming, um, some of the same problems with government and with inequality and, uh, uh, with people uh, exercising their voices,
2: yeah, definitely. Um, well, I think, you know, as Porva was just mentioning, Rashida B and the other women activists, you know, their march. I mean, how many times living in Memphis have we heard about protests and marches? And it's a historical. I mean, it's, it's a root, you know, of Memphis movement. Um, and so I think just that really concrete example is is one of the first things that comes to mind. But more sort of broadly. Um, I mean, environmental racism plays a huge role in, in what happened in Bhopal, And I mean, think about just the Bahalia pipeline. You know, yeah. that's a, s- a really good example of something that's very similar. And again, that was a grassroots movement of people who, you know, said this, <laughs> this cannot happen um, and who banded together and 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 fought back Um and so I think there's a lot of, like you said, poverty and, and the class divide, I think, is a huge element that you can just see in, I mean, many cities, inc- including sure. Memphis sure. Or, and all over the world. But um, I think, I mean, I haven't been to Bhopal, but the way Apoorva describes the hills and the valleys that we were talking about earlier is such a sort of visual thing. And just driving up and down the streets of Memphis, you can see it too, um, and how that, that affects you know, not only, um, like like I said, like environmental racism, so where do they put, you know, a factory or where would they put a pipeline, but also how we interact with our government, too. Yeah, you know, exactly. there's there's so much more access that, you know, wealthier people, white people, um, you know, people of privilege have just in general with the government than um than, than other people living in Memphis. And obviously that's not unique to Memphis, but it's certainly something that we see every day. And I'm sure you and your work (laughs) (laughs) definitely see every single day. So, um, I think there's a lot of parallels, um, which is, which is interesting, and I think you know we were so focused when we were focusing on the podcast. I mean it was it took up <laughs> 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 off and on off and on five years of our lives, yeah. but I think it's it's been really interesting to sit back and since Aporva mentioned that you had been listening and you've been making all these connections to Memphis, we've sort of been thinking about that more broadly, which which is is I don't know it's brings it very close to home um, in a different in a new sense
0: yeah I mean.
1: I mean, another way I think, like, a really interesting parallel and a reflection of uh, privilege is just the way that folks from these cities like to talk about their cities. Um, so in Bhopal, oftentimes when you talk to richer, younger folks that were less affected um, about Bhopal. They might get annoyed if you bring up the tragedy because mm. they're kind of like, it's we're sl- so much more than that. Yeah, why, yeah. Is you that keep, relevant? why do you keep, yeah, bringing up this horrible thing that happened? Football is beautiful. I mean, they come from a good place, right? Like right. they're trying to. They're proud. Yeah, they're proud, but but proud in a way that completely, you know, brushes under the rug. A huge ongoing thing. And I think I, I you know, I see a lot of that in Memphis, especially when it comes to. <laughs> absolutely that's ab- that's exactly what yeah. i was about to
0: say that's it's a very similar response that i have when people lead with that and that's not it's a problem and it's it's something that we are fighting against and learning how to, to deal with better but it shouldn't define us so um, you you've mentioned a couple of times how long this uh, project <laughs> went on and i really do uh, hope folks will listen to it uh and i think you will um if when you do uh just hear the professionalism in it and the quality um and so i want to just get it out on the table like that you guys this was not spotify coming to you and bangrolling a podcast <laughs> this was <We> wish. <laughs> this was two people with with a vision and a story talk to me a little bit about all the people involved to make it sound so good and to and to weave the story together and you have an amazing website uh they knew which way to run.com uh that has photos and 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 transcripts and lots of other information talk a little bit about the process of of creating this really beautiful thing.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, our list of people to thank is just really, really long. Um, So obviously everyone that Apoorva worked with in India, but in terms of actually producing the podcast, um, my brother Quinn was a huge help. I mean, (laughs) yes, you have to rely on family. Apoorva's (laughs) brother, too. And obviously... Um, Apoorva we interviewed a lot of people in her family and um, her mom was one of our voice actors So, you know, we had technical help with the sound editing from people like my brother and the website build with my friend Liliana from um, work and um, The music which was all original composition yeah, from really our friend Derek cool. Renfro um, Who is also a Derek. local Memphian yeah. and i um, I think nominated for his work on a he nominated a for a, a Grammy on a Beyonce album recently Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yes, so Derek. he's much cooler than we are, um, <laughs> but he was still willing to help out. Um, so on a technical aspect, but then also, you know, the, the sort of um, emotional and, and labor that, that was from Aporva's family and everything, um, and then also the voice actors. So Aporva just had to reach out to all these different people because we had 80-plus interviews. We mm-hmm. don't use all of them in the podcast because mm-hmm. that would be like a 5,000-episode <laughs> podcast. Um, but we had all these interviews, and so we needed them translated or Apoorva had translated them but we had the Hindi you know you can hear the Hindi lying underneath but then we had to have someone speak in English to tell you what they're saying and so we had all these people family and friends of Apoorva's to read these and and emote as much as they could and her mom you know did the voice acting for Rashida B and it's really moving and you can you can tell you know even between the earlier recordings and the recordings kind of once we've really got moving with the podcast that her mom really really got into it um and so there's just a lot of people um and it was a long long process (laughs) with lots of moving parts um (laughs) so but it was
1: amazing that yeah all these folks really talented folks kind of just like volunteered their time and skills (laughs) for us um it was it was a, I I was amazed but like even our cover art um was an acquaintance from college and i was amazed by how many people we were able uh we didn't even have to convince we just had to ask you know (laughs) but
0: um sometimes it's that simple
1: yeah it was it, it was really it was really um really cool to see it come together. I
2: think a part of that was because we just told them a little bit about what we were doing, you know, that this horrible thing had happened and no one really talks about it, you know, and I think people were intrigued by that and um, moved by it, which, um, as you mentioned, we were not sponsored by Spotify (laughs) or (laughs) literally anyone else. (laughs) We tried. We tried, which was interesting because I think we we reached out to all these places thinking surely someone will, will want to get get in on this you know this is such a important story and and we oftentimes felt that we kind of got a little bit of the cold shoulder um which we thought was really interesting but I think made us even all the more determined to tell the story um because no one else is going to tell us that we can't tell (laughs) it basically so
0: I for one am glad that you persisted, and that, and I really hope uh, people will listen to it. Uh, just th- maybe one more question. I mean, well, and I, I should also say that you know e- we've tried to cover a lot of ground here in a few minutes, but uh, you know each of your episodes covers a lot of these things in depth about the in- inequality, about the activists and the fight, uh, about the American side of things, the corporate uh, nature of this disaster, the history of the of the place, and um, and the history of your family, and 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 how it. Um, was impacted by this and and how you personally <laughs> were impacted by this as a as a young woman um but I want Porva maybe for you 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 close the, the series really um or close to it with uh, with a quote um by a Buddhist monk and and you're talking about pain and compassion and and so I wonder if you'll maybe wrap this all up for us <laughs> uh around those themes and maybe maybe read that quote for us if uh, uh, if you don't mind.
1: So this was, this was a quote that I found um, when I was trying to work through. Um, so I, I mentioned my grandfather was a judge. I was living with him when I was there to do my research, um, and he actually ended up passing away while I was there. Um, so part of my research and my year became um, processing that. That grief. That grief. Sure. Um, So this is a quote I found then. um, It's by Orma Chandran. um, And she says, compassion is not a relationship between the healer and the wounded. It's a relationship between equals. Only when we know our darkness can we be present with the darkness of others. Compassion becomes real when we recognize our shared humanity. Um, And yeah, and and it just like, it, it really struck me because I would definitely, you know, had many moments w- after having, you know, interviewed folks and, and heard pretty traumatic stories. I had many moments where I was kind of questioning why I was doing this to myself. <laughs> um, and, and, not, and, and very selfishly to myself, you know, not, not just generally why am I doing this, but like why am I subjecting myself to this and and that quote really helped me answer that question of why um because it kind of it made me realize the connection between my research and and my own personal story um and and helped me understand that if I wanted to actually do justice to this story and do justice to um the stories of you know, everything that I was being entrusted with, I had to realize that this wasn't, I wasn't doing anyone favors. I wasn't doing this, you know, like, um, yeah, that, that we were equals, and there was something in me that drew me to this kind of work, and, um, and doing it was, was healing me, um, was helping me, you know, process my grandfather's death and understand my family story and
0: yeah yeah well I'm glad you were drawn to it I'm glad you have a friend like Molly with uh vision and skill and in, in pod- making yes. podcasts because it's a it's really something you should be very very proud of and I know you are and I really do hope people uh will will listen to it thanks Porva, thanks Molly for joining us
1: before we close yeah I wanted to ask you Josh oh. in in passing you know having I've been interning at Just City the last couple of weeks and, and you have been mentioning a lot of parallels that have been coming up for you as mm-hmm. you've been listening to the podcast and I would just love to hear <laughs> your
0: thoughts you've turned the tables
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I mean and, and Molly touched on a little bit of it I just you know there's this it's it's really the the friction between the people um, and the systems that that sort of struck the, the strongest chord for me um, it's a little... Harder to, I think, tie the types of things that Just City is working on and the systems that we, our clients, struggle against and that we struggle against uh, to, like, a company, obviously, right? There's not a for profit multinational company like Dow Chemical um, operating our jail or our courts or, uh, you know, our our prosecutor's office or public defender's office. Um, But the voices and and the, the ideas that were expressed by the activists and uh, by someone like you, Apoorva, whose family is impacted by it, or just there's no different. And this and this quote is is so great about compassion and um, understanding the darkness of others before you can do anything about the pain and and the the, the healing that needs to come. I mean, and that's what we're missing so often uh, when we talk about public safety and when we talk about the criminal legal system is this understanding that it belongs to all of us and that. Um, in that there is n- no solution that will, there's no solution that involves separation, right? Permanent separation um, from each other. We, we, <laughs> we are people, uh, we live in this community, we will harm each other, we must be held accountable. And that's what this story in Bhopal is about. It's about harm and accountability. And that is what public safety and crime and punishment are about. It's about harm and accountability and how we navigate those very complicated things. Um, and so I, you, I could just very early on in this podcast, see you guys grappling with those same things. And it just, um, it, it, I thought, well, this may not seem related and <laughs> it may not be a typical permanent record episode, but I think, um, if you get into this podcast and listen to it and, and think about the work that needs to be done in this community and in so many communities with regard to public safety and how we deal with harm, um, I think there's a lot to learn here. So, uh, that's, uh, that's where it came from. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. And again, thank y'all. This is, this has been great. We could do this for a lot longer, but people should spend their time listening to, uh, they knew which way to run. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Apple, uh, anywhere that you get podcasts, just uh, search. They knew which way to run. That was a Porva Dixit and Molly Mulroy talking about their podcast. They knew which way to run. Special thanks to them for coming by the Just City office and recording this with us. Thanks to Ryan Azada, as always, for recording and producing this. Thanks to Dylan Sandifer for helping me research and prepare uh, for the podcast. Jeff Hewlett wrote and performed She Got Gone, original theme music for the Permanent Record. Jeff's got lots of good music out now on Bandcamp, and he's playing all over town all the time, so go support Jeff Hewlett when you can. I'm Josh Spickler. This is The Permanent Record, a production of Just City. Learn more about our work and find previous episodes of this podcast at our brand new website, justcity.org. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at JustCity901. Make sure you're subscribing to The Permanent Record somewhere. Give us a rating, a review, click the little stars as many times as you're willing. It really helps us. In a Just City, we listen and we speak up. Our thanks to you for doing both.